It looks like we got a lively fellowship today. Um, if you guys are visiting with us or only been here a couple times, uh, my name is Eli. Um, and it's, it's exciting times right now, okay? Because as many of you know, my wife and I are about to watch the Super Bowl this afternoon, right? Yeah. Okay. So um, some of you probably thought I was going to say we're about to have our first child, which, which we are. But, you know, that baby better not come this afternoon. <laughs> you listen to Dad right now, okay? <laughs> All right, so, but don't worry, guys. The Super Bowl is not till 5.30, so we have plenty of time. I got, I got stacks of notes right here. So just get some coffee. Settle in, all right? We're going to be uh, talking about God's word today. So uh, let's, let's start off with a prayer, uh, and then we'll, we'll dive on in. Uh, Heavenly Father, God, I just pray that you, uh, we know that you're with us, God. I pray that our hearts would just be open uh, to your presence, open to your word, God. I pray that uh, I say nothing, God, that you would not have me say. And I pray, God, that you prepare the hearts of the hearers. Uh, to, to hear and uh, really uh, for the word to grow deep roots uh, in their heart and bear great fruit, God, in, in all of our lives. Uh, so just pray, God, we desperately need your help. Uh, so I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, guys, so I'm going to start off today a little bit different. I'm going to go with, uh, I'm going to tell you guys about a little story. Okay, so I like, I like stories of and, and hopefully some of you can, can kind of like get with this, okay? I like stories of, that are like have intrigue and espionage and deceit and, you know, maybe some betrayal. And stories where like the, where you're kind of left on the edge of your seat because there's so much pressure come, like bearing down on the main character, right? Because they're... They got this lie going, they got that lie going, they got this person who we know as, as viewers is about to like stab them in the back, but they don't know it and they got to react to that, right? And you're just wondering like, are they going to get through this or are they going to crack under the pressure, okay? Um, and so a story along those lines that I want to share with you guys, go back, there we go. So I've been reading this story about a ruthless, ambitious, like conniving king, okay? Um, who, this king has militarily conquered a long-standing family dynasty. So through military power has gained power of the throne. And under, during his reign, the nation that he's leading is, ex, is experiencing uh, economic success, and one of his main things is that he is extremely ambitious when it comes to building, okay? So he is just, he's built this beautiful temple. He's building these fortresses and just these, he's trying to make a name for himself, right? Like the people at the Tower of Babel. He's trying to make a name for himself with his buildings and his lavishness. Okay, but as I, you know, get to know this king more, um, it turns out, right, that he's extremely paranoid. And there's a lot of this, you know, espionage stuff going on. So 
he is so paranoid that he, uh, he, he can, he's, thinks that his own wife is uh, out to get him, like out to take the power of his throne. And so he, you know, accuses her of treason. She goes on trial, and ultimately he has his own wife executed. Okay, and then shortly after, he, then, he gets the mother-in-law, right? His mother-in-law, his wife's mother, he then has her executed. And then his brother-in-law, a little while later, has him executed because he's worried about him coming for his throne. And then a little bit longer down the line, two of his own sons he has assassinated out of just the fear that they're going to take some of his power. You see, he's, very, he's caught in this dark, deep web of, of, I mean, who at that point when you've lived your life, like, who can you trust? Like, you're just, you're going to be uncomfortable all the time. Okay? And so, this, oh, sorry, I don't even know what that is. What I'm telling you guys about is, this is actually the backdrop of Matthew chapter 2. And so, you know, maybe you were thinking this is some cool novel, but no, it, it's the Bible, and people say the Bible's boring. And it's like, no, it's not. All right? So that's, that's guys, and so actually, too, when we, when we look at that, we see that uh, Herod is the king, we can, his behavior, when we know that about him, it starts to make a lot more sense in the chat. It brings the, the, the Bible to life when we just know a little bit of what's going on. Okay? So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2 today. All right? And our uh, theme for the year is, is strong in Christ. And so we're all going through a gospel. I'm going through Matthew. And uh, we're going we're gonna to dive into Matthew chapter 2 uh, to see some of the the themes that are coming from the text, okay? So a couple of the themes that I see in this text in Matthew chapter 2, Matthew's really preparing the stage for Jesus's ministry. That's what the first kind of few chapters are about, like getting everything prepped, because Jesus's ministry is kind of the main focal point of of all the Gospels, all right? We don't have a ton about his childhood and all of that. And a couple of things that I want you guys to come away with to see today is that uh, hypocrisy, hypocrisy is, is caused by t- two main things, I think. A sense of complacency and the lack of, of need for deliverance, okay? So what I mean by that is a lack of need for a deliverer. It's like, well, here, for example, kind of, I would say, I'm going to like group, in the world today, we see different groups of people, okay? And, and I'm just going to, you know, maybe this isn't the most fair, accurate thing to do, but I'm just going to put people in three different camps, okay? You've got people uh, who are, so, so let's talk about self-righteous, okay? So self-righteous, that's one of the traps of life, especially religion, okay? It's religious people who tend to become self-righteous. And Right, and the reason that that happens is because we, as religious people, sometimes we stop seeing our need for deliverance, for a deliverer, and so then our, our piety, our righteousness, those things, they just become enough. Or maybe 
We need a little adjustment there, a little bit there, but we don't need deliverance, right? So we just, and that, and that goes right into, then we get complacent. Okay, and then there's worldly, worldliness. Uh, people who are worldly, right? And, and I think the deception there is that there's no, there's no need for deliverer because the world is all that there is. It's all the, the best that this life has to offer. The best that it has to give is, you know, just partying on the weekend or worldliness, right? There's, there's the lie, there's the belief that ah, we don't need to deliver. Like we, or we can do this as mankind. Like we can, we can write the ship. Okay, and then there's people who, who get bitter. And it's because they don't see any deliverance and they stop believing that it's possible. And, and then they want other people to feel the way that they do, about hopeless. There's no deliverance. Right? And I think that's, I really think, and that's, so if you think about where Satan really tries to take people in their lives, if he can take out religious people, probably going to be through self-righteousness. If he can take out, you know, he tricks people, lies to people that the world is the answer. Right? And then some people just go way, 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 way south, and they get bitter. And it's, right, but we know how this, like, all of these things that we're talking about, they're so subtle. Right? I don't know too many self-righteous people who, like, will come up like, Kai, I'm really self-righteous. They, they don't know that they are. That's the problem. And, uh, and then when it comes to being bitter, right, bitter root. Bitter root. Like, it's just this little root, and it just... It grows and it spreads. Okay, so in, in, in worldliness, in a weird way, it's like there's like this suppression of the truth. It's like, no, I know that there's more, but I just suppress it so much and believe the lies so much that I, that I lose sight, that I become complacent. So Satan's really working, I, I believe, to get people essentially in one of those three camps. And I think uh, we need a deliverer, and we can't become complacent, right, if we want to avoid the, the, the pitfalls of falling into those camps. Okay, so let's take a look at the text. Matthew chapter 2. Apparently I missed verse 1. So I'll read verse 1, and then you guys can jump in. <laughs> So after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. 
When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Okay, so we're going to break it up into three sections. This is the first section of Matthew chapter 2. And we have some questions about this text. Like, right, we know a little bit about Herod now. Uh, I told you guys a little bit about him. But who are the Magi? Okay, and the Magi, right, we, they're known as like the wise men. That's what they're called in, you know, our Christmas songs and things like that. And, you know, i got to be honest, there's a lot of speculation about who they are. And, and I, don't, I don't know for certain. And I don't think anybody knows for certain who they are. But, uh, but what we do know is that they are, there's some sort of, they could even be kings, but, they could, but they're probably some like, like members of the king's you know, palace, member of the king's court kind of a thing. Like they're, they're noblemen, they're, they're delegates, so to speak, right? They're distinguished individuals. And another thing we can tell about them is that they are into astrology, okay? Because they're the star, right? They're into the, the stars. And, and so right off the bat, Matthew's kind of showing us like, because astrology and kind of superstition about the stars isn't like, that's not looked highly upon in Judaism, okay? So, he, so th these people are kind of of the pagan variety, so to speak, all right? There's actually a chance that these men are from Persia because the only other time the word magi is used in the Bible is in Daniel chapter 2. And... Uh, and it's kind of interesting to think about because it's like Daniel, if you guys know a little bit about Daniel's story, he, he really, he was in Babylon and he pretty much just stood alone and was a prophet and was just extremely uh, intense about his, his faith and, and, and sharing it and, and being a spokesperson for God. And, you know, it really seemed like he wasn't getting anywhere. You know, that's, what, that's when you read Daniel, it's like, man, dude, this is tough. He gets thrown in the lion's den. I mean, it's, it's like not good, right? But then, so I just wonder, I just wonder if these magi, you know, are just some offshoot, some result of Daniel and his faith and, and, and sharing it. That would be so cool. And so, and you can tell, right, Herod, he's disturbed. It says he was deeply disturbed. And all of Jerusalem was deeply disturbed by this news that there was a king to be born. So we know why Herod would be disturbed. He's like, oh, wait, there's a rumor of a king. Like, I'm not about that, right? We're going to take this out, okay? And then Jer the, the scri Jerusalem disturbed. And, you know, it's, I just really want to point this out that they quote Micah, okay, right? It says, as the prophets have said, I'll go back to it. This thing is being a little, right? So in verse 6 there, you see a quotation from the prophet Micah. So the Messiah, it's like, they know exactly where to go in the scripture. They're like, hey, this is the king. They know exactly where to go, okay? But then they, they don't go and worship him right? So they know the exact scripture, but then they just don't follow through. And so right there, right there, we have a, there's a, a taste of hypocrisy, 
They know this, they hear the scriptures, but they don't do them. And guys, we can't look at them like, wow, they're just, how could that, lame, hypocrites, right? They just have such a bad, the Jews have such a bad rap because of the way that, uh, well, just because the way they respond in the Gospels, right, and the way that we talk about it and everything like that. But really, they're just normal people. They're just normal people, okay? And they're doing their best, just like we try to do our best. And so we can't look at them and be like, wow, they're just faithless, this and that. Because, guys, let's just take a second to think about when we hear the word, do we do it? When, when the Bible says, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, right? Do we do, we do it? Or do we let the sin just linger a little bit? Just, oh, it's okay. You know, the Bible has these, these strong challenges. Don't give up meetings together. Or do we, it's just super easy to stop prioritizing meetings of the body and, and then justify it. We have to hear the word and do the word. So Matthew, what he's really doing, once again, is he's reversing these expectations. All of a sudden, these Magi guys, these Gentiles, are like kind of the, what we should look up to, and the Jews, right, are kind of not. And it should be the reversal, right? The, the Jews were supposed to be a light to the nations. Okay, so I want to just point out a couple things about the Magi and the way that they, they purely worshipped Jesus. Okay, first of all, they brought gifts. They brought gifts. Now that is a sign of their, their, where are they at in their heart. Because if you think about it, when it comes to our worship of God, we, a lot of times we treat God like, where, God, can you give me this gift? God, can you give me this gift? Can you, can you make that right over there? Can we get an adjustment here? I really need this, God, right? And it's, we want gifts from God. And you know what? As we should, because God is the giver of gifts. But do we bring anything to God? Do we give him a gift? And now it's kind of weird because our gifts don't really like do anything for God in a way. Like he doesn't need any of our gifts. You know what I mean? So there's, it's kind of weird. It's kind of, there's kind of a disconnect. But, but God's not looking at the gift. He's looking at the condition of the heart. And the giving of the gift or the lack thereof shows the condition of the heart. Jesus, the baby, he didn't have a use for frankincense, gold, and myrrh. What's he going to do with that? But they were giving a gift, right? And we should emulate the, the wise men in, in giving gifts to God. What, what, whatever it is, our time, our money, our worship, just our thoughts, guys. Man, think. You know, I think like a, a, a good healthy marriage, part of a good healthy marriage is when the husband and wife think about each other when they're not around each other. You know, like if you lose that, you lose, just never think about them, which I, I'd say I've gone through like, you know, I've had like little periods of time where it's gotten like that. I'm like, man, what's going on? Right? So even think, thinking, that, that's a that's a. That's a gift that we can give to God. It's amazing that he accepts those things and uh, accepts them uh, joyfully and, and loves it. Okay, I think the other thing, too, is that they are overjoyed. It says they saw the star and they were just overjoyed. They were filled with joy. 
And do you, know, do you feel that way about your relationship with God? Does it bring you joy? Does it bring you your supreme joy? Like, because like, we get joy from a lot of things, which is good, because God wants us to have joy in our lives. But if, we were to, if you were to take all, if you could only keep one joy, you could only keep one of them, you had to get rid of all the other ones, which one would you choose to keep? And I hope that it would be the joy that you draw from your relationship with God. That's, that's the way that it's supposed to be, our supreme joy. And you know, I apologize if you've heard me say this before. It's just kind of a, a thought that I like, is that heaven is a place where we will worship God 24-7, 365, okay? That's what we do in heaven, is we worship God. And so if our lives consist of an hour and a half worship per week on a Sunday morning, then are we, are we going to enjoy worshiping God all the time? And so, and, and here's the, where I want to draw the connection is, you know, for example, after church today, me and Tyler are going to play some just super nerdy card games, okay? Like super nerdy, okay? Like mythical creatures and all this stuff, okay? And, you know, if you didn't get invited, it's not because I don't like you. Actually, because I just don't think you would enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, probably right? And so, yeah, okay. <laughs> and so, think about that. And, and like, are you, is God going to invite someone to the party who doesn't, isn't going to enjoy it? No. It's not how it works. Because we're, we're going to party. And we're not going to have any party poopers in heaven. Guys, the, the Jews really, in this passage, they really valued the stability over deliverance. Because Herod, we know Herod was not a good king. We, right, it's obvious. But he was good enough. Like, for that, like, the way things were going, it's like, you know, actually, we don't really need a new king. It's going okay with Herod. So they valued the stability. And stability, security, is, is a, can be such a trap in our lives, especially for our faith. Because that's when we get complacent. That's when things start to, the law of entropy kicks in and things just start to degrade without us even realizing it. Things are not okay. Our, our coworkers, our neighbors, as great as it looks on the outside, it's, things are not okay. We need deliverance. Let's go ahead and keep on reading in the text. <clears throat> okay, so verse 13 says, When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Okay, so now we know, right, Herod's like secretly meets with the Magi, and he's like, hey, tell me where the child is exactly so I can come and worship him. Okay, but clearly his plot was actually to know his exact location so he could come kill him. And so because of the danger, he got up, he took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. 
When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted, because they are no more. Okay, so, we, we, following the story, they go to Egypt, right? And they, they're, hiding, they're basically taking refuge in Egypt, uh, Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. And they wait there for quite some time until, until Herod eventually dies. Okay, but what I, what I want to look at here is there's a couple Old Testament uh, passages here, quotations, all right? Like this one that's on the screen from Jeremiah, right? And the other one is from Hosea 11.1, 1, where it says, out of e-, in verse 15 there, out of Egypt I called my son, okay? And so... Like I've mentioned before, Matthew is, uh, he is a Jew. He's extremely familiar with the Old Testament. He's injecting the Old Testament all over his gospel. And one thing, actually, just of note is that when he quotes Hosea, when he says, out of Egypt I called my son, he's actually quoting the Hebrew version of the Bible rather than the Greek, Greek Septuagint, okay? So he knows the Hebrew, which is Kind of, it's actually impressive, it's unique, because he lived in a place where they, sp- where they spoke Greek. Okay? All right, and so uh, let's look at the context of these passages. Okay, so this is Hosea, and I, I just added a few more verses. Go ahead. I'm not going to read them all, but just look at them. All right, to give you a little context of what's, of what's going on in the passage. Okay, so clearly what is being talked about in Hosea 11 is uh, the exodus of Egypt. Okay, so we're going back to the book of Exodus when they were delivered from Egypt, okay? And so, you know, actually, and it's funny because Jesus is not leaving Egypt. He's going to Egypt. So how, how can this be, like, about Jesus? How, why is this quotation being used, okay? And uh, I'm going to talk about that. Because actually one of my commentaries I was reading was literally said, this quotation, a commentary written by like a PhD, was like, this quotation makes literally no sense. And Matthew just added it here to like suit his own desires. That's what he said. I was like, you know, I don't believe anyone does anything without a reason. Like there's always a reason. Okay. And so uh, interesting enough studying this, what, what I realized is that Matthew keeps drawing all these allusions to the Old Testament and he's trying to paint this picture where if you guys know the story of Exodus, what happened was what, what did Pharaoh command to happen? Have all the young boys killed. All right? And so what Matthew is saying is Herod, who was known as the king of the Jews, that was his title, his official title, is now, has now become like the Pharaoh. And so the one thing that right the, throughout the Bible, the Jews are warned, don't, don't go back to Egypt. Don't, don't go back. And not only did they go back, they became the very thing which they despised from the start. And that is, and how did that happen? Well, slowly and insidiously, through complacency. 
So we need to be on our guard all the time against hypocrisy. So I don't think anyone, I've got to be honest with you, I don't think anyone in this room is a hypocrite, okay? I really don't. I mean, you might, I don't know, maybe it's something might surprise me or something, okay? I don't think anyone is. But we all have some hypocrisy in our lives. We all have some. And so the purpose of this message is to, to take some time to think about, to evaluate, address, you know, see, see the problem area, and then take, just take the next step, okay, to, to be intentional about it. Uh, is sometimes we just need to take a step back to see, because I don't know about you guys, but for me, I tend to just shove things under the rug. Like, I'll have a continual issue, and I'll just, in, in the, that conscience pricking, the conscience pricking, and eventually even that, that prick starts to go away. So like, then I just lose sight. So like one thing, at several different times in my life, I just get too obsessed or too into my own entertainment. And like, and, and like my conscience is like, you know what, no, you should like be a little more selfless and stop being like just using all of your time for you. You know, like I, I get that. And I'm kind of like, well, you know, but I did a lot the other day. And so like, yeah, you know, I just, just it's good. I'll just, I'll just, you know, watch the show or do, do whatever I want. And like, and then there's there's time where it just erodes to the point where I don't even realize it anymore, and I'm just doing it and and, and just indulging in entertainment. And then I'm like, and thanks thanks be to God, I just have at some point I have a wake up moment, like where somebody says something or, but you know I'm actually reading the Bible and praying, and it just reveals to me like, oh my gosh, I have, how did I get here? Yeah, come on. I need to go back. All right, so just just this is how. That's how, that's how evil works, is it, it worms its way. All right, then we have this quotation from Jeremiah. Okay, so, so this is the passage in Jeremiah, also with a few other verses, just to give you a little bit of context. And so um, it's talking about uh, what's going on in Jeremiah is the people are being exiled to Babylon. Okay, and... Rachel was buried uh, in Ramah, just outside of Bethlehem. And that actually just ha- so, ha- so happened to be the road in which the Israelites essentially marched to Babylon. Once they were conquered and they were being led into exile, they would have walked right by the grave of Rachel. Okay, so this is, so once again, we're talking about this, this idea of exile right, in deliverance. Because Jeremiah 31, guys, is, we'll just even read the next few verses. What, what is going on, right? Your children will return to their own land. It's the last verse. There, there's this idea of deliverance. And Jeremiah 31 is like the chapter of chapters in the Old Testament when it comes to a future hope and a new covenant. Check this out in Jeremiah 31, 31. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant. Though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. He's he's making a new covenant. And just in the same way, guys, that the, the new covenant was ushered in through something as horrible and painful as the cross. 
I, that's what's, I think that's what's going on here. There, there's a sense of this mourning for, like, many children were killed. Like, this is, this is huge. And, you know, this isn't even inherit, like, talk about, you know, that point, like, are they going to snap? Are they going to break right in the story? Like, this isn't even Herod's lowest point. Because it gets worse. Um, but, man, it's like, this is, this, is, this is kind of the crux. This is where the story turns. And this is where our story turns, all right? Where, where our reality, our life change is, is in the cross. All right, let's finish up Matthew chapter 2. So after Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee and went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene. Okay, so uh, Herod dies. They go back, all right? That's, that's where the story is taking us. They go, well, instead of going back to Bethlehem, they actually go to Galilee because Archelaus is not a good guy either, okay? So they're trying to avoid him. But uh, what's important about this passage is that, right, like I mentioned before, Matthew is writing this, his main audience is, are his fellow Jews, okay? And he's trying to convince his fellow Jew that Jesus is the Messiah. And so any Jew reading this would notice there's an extremely obvious, like, connection, a point that Matthew is trying to make with just these few verses. And that's Exodus, right? We've been talking about deliverance, right? Do you guys see a, see a, a similarity? Now the Lord said to Moses, go back to Egypt for all those who wanted to kill you are dead. And so Matthew is just drawn, like this is the true exodus. He's trying to corral the Jews to realize, like it's just love. He's just slowly, he's just peeling it back as the book goes on and on. Like this is the true exodus, the true deliverance. It's only in Jesus. Okay, guys, so what do we, what do we do? What do we do with this? What do you do with studying of Matthew chapter 2? Well, guys, I think just most, there's two things I think are most important, and that's we need to see our need for God, okay? And what I mean by that is we need to display it in our actions. See our need for God, display it in our actions. Yeah. You know, we don't know the, the inner workings of a man's heart. Right, like as we, we don't know that about each other, but God, God certainly does. But the best way, the best window into someone's heart is their actions, and especially the actions that they're consistent with, and especially the actions that they're not consistent with. Okay, so you know, and I don't, in, in our relationship with God, is kind of the only place it's like acceptable to, for okay, so for example. Let's say I, right, I'm married to Ian's son, and I love her, yeah. right? I mean, she's my wife. For heaven's sakes, you better love her. But when, um, when I get home and she wants to talk to me, I don't really want to listen. You know? 
And then when she wants me to like be giving and talk to her, I don't really want to because it's like, man, I got, I got everything figured out. Why do I need to tell you? You know? Um, and so what if that was the pattern, right? Of, okay, that, it doesn't, it goes like that sometimes, but not all the time, okay? <laughs> yeah. But what if that was the pattern? What if that was, I didn't, then I can't, I can say that I love her, but it's like, but it's not really true, just because you're married, like, you don't love her if you totally ignore her every day and you just go your separate ways, like, that's, that's not love. It might be marriage, but it's not love. And, right, with God, it's like, sometimes it's acceptable to have this disconnect where I don't ever listen to God by the reading of the word, and I don't ever talk to God by prayer, but I love him. And it's just, it can, it can grow acceptable in our life. And so, right, if you, guys, I need, my life is, I can't go through a day without, I am going to train wreck my life. Like, I need the Bible. I need to talk to God, because honestly, actually, me and Grayson were talking about this the other day, like, I am such an emotional, like, wreck that I just, it's like we were talking about how, like, if we literally just prayed every time we just get off emotionally, how we would never do anything, we would just pray, because we're just constantly emotional wrecks. Like, I just get discouraged. I just get weird. I, ugh. Like, I just need God so badly. I need deliverance every single day. And, and like, when I stop, re when I stop thinking that way, that's, those are the seasons in my life where I, I start just going down. So we need, to, we need to see our need for God and then, and then respond to it in action, right? Not just acknowledge our need for God, not just say we need God, but do we display it every single day? The other thing that we think I need to do to avoid complacency is pursue growth and get intentional. I think... I think intentionality is like the antidote to complacency, okay? Because there's so many things in life, right? Life is just, it's fast, and it hits us, and we do the same thing every day, and pretty soon it'll just pass us by. And that's why it's just so important to live with intentionality. Like, what are the, and honestly, I mean, if you're anything like me, I can only handle like a few things, okay? So I need to pick what those few things are that I'm going to be intentional about, and, and pursue that, and do that. So that's why, it's kind of like I mentioned earlier, like this message is so that you can take some time to address, figure out, evaluate, maybe ask somebody, okay, where, where am I backsliding? Where am I becoming complacent? Where am I being hypocritical? And then to take the next step. Right? That's extremely important. I love our new strong discipling system. And I love where we're just how we're not forced to, but we're, we're, we're called to think about what is the next step? Like, what am I going to do about this? I just got open about how I'm struggling, and now what am I going to, how am I going to pursue growth in this area? All right, and then I think one way that we can give a gift, right, as the Magi brought a gift to, gifts to Jesus one of the gifts that God asks for from us, he doesn't ask a lot. His commands are not burdensome. 
But he asks us to go make disciples, to bring other people to the party, to invite our friends to the party. That's, that's one of the things that God really wants from us and that we can give to him. All right, guys. So as we close out, do you guys... So have you ever, like, ordered a package online and... You're, you, it's like, I don't know, it's either valuable or just you, something you really want. And so it comes with a tracking number, right? And it's like not getting there or it's just maybe taking a little, you know, it's like maybe like a few years ago before Amazon Prime or whatever. Like it just takes a little bit longer. It doesn't show up on your doorstep the next day. And you have this tracking number. And have any of you guys ever looked at the tracking number on a package? Right? It's like in transit. That's at least the USPS. It's in transit. In transit. And I'm like, gosh dang it. <laughs> But so what happens when that package just stays in transit? Like it's like a month later and it's in transit. I'm like, what? What is going on? What happens to the mail that never gets delivered? It gets lost. Nobody knows what happens to it. <laughs> so guys, if we don't get delivered, we end up lost. It never makes it. The package never makes it to its final destination. So to not see our need for a deliverer and become complacent, guys, will ultimately turn us into, into hypocrites. But, guys, our hope is in this, that although it's the temptations of life, the, str the, the strength of the world, the strength of Satan, it seems overwhelming, it seems like so much, but Jesus says... Take joy. I have overcome the world. Do not be afraid. Our, our hope is in him. He is the only. He's our only shot at deliverance. And, and he, but he is just the ultimate deliverer. So, uh, guys, I'm going to uh, close out with a prayer, and then we will have uh, Megan. Uh, or no, we're going to have communion. Sorry. I skipped ahead. We're going to have, uh, we're going to go into communion. Um, and Isaiah is going to play us a, a special song as well. Let's go ahead and pray for communion. I'm Heavenly Father, God. God, we just come to you, uh, and we ask that you would help our minds to be able to just reflect on the cross, on the resurrection, on the sacrifice, God, that you made for each and every one of us, God, and on the deliverance that you have Open the door wide open for us to receive, God. I pray that you just help our hearts and minds to settle and rest on these things because these things are uh, they're the hope of glory, God. They're, they're all that truly matters in the end. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.